Hey everyone, this is Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you to Cornerstone Conversations. And we're beginning the first part of an eight-part series on relationships. We're calling this the Relationship Series. And I pray that you will be blessed as you go through each one of these episodes over the next eight weeks. I pray that the Lord would enrich your relationship. And maybe there's someone else that you know that should be participating and listening to what we have to say because it's all the Word of God and it's real life stuff. And I hope that you are enriched and blessed by what you're about to hear. God bless you. Welcome everyone to another podcast session at Cornerstone Alive. And we are very excited because we have two wonderful people with us. And I just want to introduce them. This is Jeff Mix and his wife Ning Mix. And welcome, folks. And thank you for being here this evening. Of course, I have Tammy here beside I'm here me. Too. <laughs> yes, praise the Lord. So um, before we get started tonight, uh, why don't you introduce yourselves and just tell us a little bit about yourselves? I know we're going to have a bigger conversation as we go down the, you're, you're going to give your testimonies, but we're not going to do that tonight, but maybe just introduce yourselves. Be glad to. Um, again, my name is Jeff Mex, and uh, thrilled to be here. It's a great honor and a privilege, so um, we're very blessed, as I said, to be here. We've been coming to this church for about six months, and we live way out of town. We live about <laughs> 65 miles from here. Wow. Or 60 is 65 minutes door-to-door virtually, so, right. but, you know, we've been really enjoying our time here. This is a wonderful body, and we feel very much at home here, so we're very pleased. Thank you, Lord. Right. And just as, you know, the Lord brought Jeff and I together, the Lord brought us here to this new spiritual home for us. So definitely it's been a blessing coming here. And we're very happy to have you. Praise God. I think it's been awesome over this last year to see all the folks who have joined us here at Cornerstone. We don't really have membership per se, but people who've just joined us from all over the place, all over Fairfield County and all you folks from 60 plus miles away. And that is a great blessing to us. And especially since we get to do what we're doing tonight and the coming weeks in this conversation, which I believe is a very needed conversation. We're going to begin this discussion tonight about relationships and what relationships should look like from a biblical perspective and what God has to say about those relationships. We've never done this at Cornerstone. Have we, Tammy? Have we done anything like so. this? I don't think so. Maybe a Sunday morning message that's... Oh, possibly, but I'm, I, I'll be honest with you, I tend to... St- shy away from that kind of stuff. It becomes very uncomfortable for me, especially when you begin to talk more intimate stuff. But what I think is so awesome is that Jeff and Ning came to me months ago and said, hey, we did some stuff like this at our previous church where they used to live. And I was very excited about that because I thought, wow, this would be so awesome to be able to do something like this at Cornerstone. And I'll say this, what I have seen in the last year, I think because of the pandemic, is we have seen a lot of people needing relationship discussions. And not necessarily those folks together, but sometimes it's one person, it's one side of the relationship. Sometimes it's both sides of the relationship. And I would say in 33 years of ministry, this year I have done more spiritual counseling of couples and individuals than I've done in any other single year of my ministry. Not all combined, but 
a single year. So it's very interesting to me that we're doing this at this time. I feel like it's very appropriate and very important that we do. Before we get into the meat of this discussion, Tammy, you said you have some statistics or discuss things you want to talk about. I do, yeah. Before we turn this over to Jeff and Ning, I want you to share what you got. Yeah, so I have some statistics, and they're actually, um, you know, they're not from a Bible teacher or anything. These are actually from the CDC. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Marriage rates in the United States. Marriage has been increasingly declining in the United States. There are 15 times more couples living together without marrying than in 1960. So there's been a decline. The other thing um, with the statistics, and I have this nice little graph here, marriage rates peaked in the 1950s and went up just a little bit in the 80s. And then from that point on, it's gone downhill. A lot of the reason for that are young people uh, foregoing uh, marriage or postponing it. So there's some things I can go into about that maybe in a little bit. A lot of the um, different issues and different reasons why people do that. Um, There has been a significant decline. And right now, 2018 was this most recent number. We are at 6.9% per 1,000 in the population. It's the lowest uh, period of marriage from 1900 to 2018. So we're at the lowest. So what what is this percentage again? It's it's 6.9 what? Well, from 2017, 17 to 2018, it dropped 6%. So it's what, now what dropped from the, 6%? the rate. It's now 6.9. So 6.9. I'm, I'm sorry, dear. What The rate of what? Marriage. Oh, the rate of marriage. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Six. I know you all probably got that. I, I missed that somewhere. <laughs> so 6.9 out of 1,000 uh, marriage. So there was kind of a peak in 1972 at 10.9, declined a little during the Great Depression. But overall, um, it's been on a pretty downward trend. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that our society, really probably from the 1960s up until now, has encouraged almost the try and buy mentality. Mm, You try out a person first. You sleep with them. You go you go out with them. You sleep with them. Then maybe you cohabitate with them. And if it doesn't work out, eh, just get rid of them and find somebody else. You know, and I think that it's not surprising that we see those kinds of statistics because our young people and people our age and people older than us, so let's say our grandparents began to hear this in the 30s and 40s, and now in the 50s, you know, marriage peaked. But then in the 60s, you see this major shift in the attitude towards monogamous, faithful relationships that are filled with lifelong commitment. And I know that might scare. So maybe some people that have just thought, I want to listen to this. And now they just heard that statement. Maybe they're about ready to (laughs) click. I'm turning that off. I don't want to hear this. No, don't do that. Listen, please stay with us and listen to the whole conversation because I think this is important. This is what people are looking for. And I'm excited to get into the meat of this. Oh, before we do that, Ning, I want to share a scripture here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And we're going to share a lot of scriptures throughout this whole series. But it says here, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So I think this is important that we don't love because we fear. And 
I think fear is created when, and this is where you come in, Ning, uh, when we don't trust. I think when we don't trust that I don't trust this person, I don't trust what they said, I don't trust that they'll follow through. So what do you have to say? What do you want to what do you want to share with us? Right, it's kind of interesting, you know, when we asked a young adult, what is it about the idea of a committed relationship, you know, what is kind of like a key issue and um, it was actually Trent, your son, who said mm-hmm. something about trust. And I thought about that and I realized that is so true that uh, when we're afraid to trust, then we are afraid to be totally transparent, we are afraid to be vulnerable, we're afraid to be totally committed because we tend to try to be more in terms of um, self-preservation. Like we have, whether we actually know it or whether it's something that's just in the background of our mind, you know, we think more about self-preservation. How do I protect myself? I've gotten hurt before. How do I make sure this other person that I'm investing so much in doesn't hurt me in the end? So, you know, the essence of where you have the presence of fear, you can't really have perfect love. On the other hand, when we feel that we are totally loved, then we can let go of our fears. That's why perfect love casts out fear. And the thing is, though, we can't really find perfect love in a human, just in a, you know, on, on human terms or in a human relationship. Because sooner or late, later, no matter how much, like, how much I love Jeff, but even without intending to, I may hurt him. I may disappoint him. I may do something that offends him, even though that wasn't what I'm trying to do. So no matter how much we love someone, we can't avoid it totally. You know, like we may end up hurting them and we get disappointed. So the only person that can love us completely 100% is God. And so you have to base all of your relationships on truth and the only real rock-solid truth is that God is love. When you base your relationships on that, that's the time when you can let go of your fear and you can actually trust another person even though that's a risk. I think it's really interesting what you just said because I think there are going to be a lot of people that listen to this and they're going to hear the words that you just said and they're going to be like, wow. What you just said is so huge. I feel like there's almost this thing that people expect, you better be perfect Mm -hmm. towards me. You better do everything right or I'm going to get rid of you. And that's not going to happen. Sometimes I have to give 100% because Tammy can't give 100% and vice versa. And we do that. That's what a relationship is all about. And if we don't trust that person, and if we don't know that the truth is founded in Jesus Christ, and that we, our relationships are first and foremost founded and grounded in him, then we're going to be walking in offense Mm -hmm. towards our partner all the time. Do you want to say something? You look like you do. I do, yes. (laughs) Um, This is from uh, John and Lisa Bevere's book on the story of marriage. And Ning, when you were talking about love, I had this marked in here, Um, God is love. 
Love isn't just something that God does. It's not just something he has. It is who he is. Marriage is an institution of love, the first institution that God established. Not only is marriage the first institution established by God, it's also the poetic symbolism that he used to represent the depth of his love for us and commitment to us, his church and the bride. The bride and groom are a picture of the church in Christ. Because of this profound symbolism, there's an even deeper, darker intent behind the assault against marriage and too few people recognize this attack is against not just the human relationship, but this is against God's whole intention and God's love and the representation of God's love for his church. There's this whole profanation of trust and love, and then ultimately relationships, sex, and Mm -hmm. all of it. And it, it really started in the garden when Satan sought to undermine Adam and Eve's trust Mm -hmm. in God. When he said, God knows you'll be just like him if you eat that. Well, they were already just like God. So that was an undermining. Well, why would God hold back from us? Mm -hmm. That's a trust issue. And that's where it began. And that trust issue probably then, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but I'm guessing it probably did. It probably creeped into their relationship and into every relationship in history since. It's so true that if Satan introduces the idea that they cannot trust God, then who can they trust, right? If they can't trust God, then they can't trust each other, and that kind of propagates all Mm. the way down the line. So why do you think, I mean, Tammy and I have, we met each other, I was 19, she was 18, and she was very impressed with me and I with her. No, we weren't. We weren't impressed with each other. And we ended up getting together. So we got married at 19 and 20, just not even, we didn't even know each other for, what, six months. We got, you know, proposal of marriage and all this kind of stuff. And we got together. We knew each other about nine months, eight months, and we got married. So what do you think causes people to really go off into distrust and into this thing of, I'm going to get rid of you and I'm going to look for somebody else. Because if this person didn't do it, the next person's probably not going to do it either. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, thinking in terms of comparisons of the marriage institution as God ordained it in the Garden of Eden, in paradise in essence, and then in all of us having been conceived in sin and born in sin and are born into a fallen world, fraught with sin and all the encumbrances that comes with that, we've all been hurt in some way, shape, or form. And so what do we do? What did Adam and Eve do when they felt they had been offended against or they had caused an offense? They hid. They sought to cover themselves. They sought to hide. And unfortunately, in this fallen world, that's a very common situation that we all fall into. And so left unto our own devices, apart from the standard that God employs or or calls us to come to, if you will, come back to him, come back to a perfect relationship and perfect love, as the scriptures say, we're going to hide. And we're mm-hmm. going to then look and keep our guard up and we're going to look to see, is this person going to hurt me in some way, shape, or form at some point in time? And if they do, then we're going to continue to put our masks on and cover ourselves with fig leaves and we're going to uh, seek to not be offended again. In essence, if eventually, if the, the godly standard isn't brought to be employed in that conflict, people are going to turn and walk the other way. And they're going to go look for another savior because this person didn't save them from their hurt and their dilemma. Right. You know what I see all the time on Facebook 
I see men and of course women looking for someone, or I hear this a lot of times from folks who I talk to in jail. Well, I need her because she's keeping me from doing this or from doing that. And it's like, look, if you're if you're thinking that that person is going to be your savior, you're going to keep falling and falling and falling. And you know, I just said something a few minutes ago that I, I said, I'm guessing that We don't have any proof that once Adam and Eve believed that they couldn't trust God because he was holding out on them. What's one of the things Adam said to God when God was questioning them about what they had done? He said, that woman that you gave me, that was a statement of distrust. I never thought about that. Right. But it was, he, it was like, well, I can't trust her because look what she did. This is what happens in relationships. And you've got something here. I like this one statement. You say, too often we put an unfair burden on our loved ones, expecting them to meet our inner desires, which only God can truly meet. That's true, because um, without that, like as we saw with Adam and Eve, the very first couple, right, that God put in a perfect environment, and yet they ended up doing the blame game, right? So Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and so on. And that's Um, all distrust. I mean, it's all based in distrust. All lack of trust, right. I have something to share, Uh Um, just talking about like our culture right now and with young adults. This was from a Pew Research Center survey, not specifically believers, but just Mm -hmm. general people. Uh, 40% of unmarried adults believe that marriage is becoming obsolete, but 20% of that 40% still want to get married. Isn't that weird? Which is very interesting. I thought that number was interesting. Well, there's a completion that happens in a monogamous, committed relationship. There is, and we're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks, but there is something about we want to feel I can trust this person. This person is for me, and they're going to do things that won't hurt me. I'm sorry, go ahead. The other thing with um, young adults today, this is really like an amazing number here, but 80% of people, young adults, wait until after age 30 before they marry. That's an average 80%. I wonder if that was different, maybe 30, 40 It was years different, ago. yeah. So it's it's the normal. Now 30 is the more normal age, 30 after 30. I know it was different 37 and a half years ago right. when we met because <laughs> we were 20 and 19, you know. Right. The other things that I had seen and looked up with, with this um, study and this survey, some of the real issues is with young adults, there's a constant need for attention. With text messages, you know, you text somebody now, they expect that you're going to answer them immediately. So when you get to the trust issue, you know, a young man texts a lady and she doesn't reply back and he's like, where is she? Who is she with? What's she doing? And vice versa. The other thing is distractions. Um, People have their phones with them constantly and they keep getting constant notifications. Oh, what's this friend doing? What's that friend doing? I need to spend more time with you, but oh wait, what's going on over here? Um, The other thing I read about was the big commitment trust issue that people have this fake sense of perfection because of social media. Um, You know, people post their most you know, their most attractive picture. Um, They put special filters on their picture. So maybe if you saw them in person, that's not even really who or what they look like. And, you know... Which would create a sense of distrust already. uh, Right. Another mask. Right. 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 Really, yeah. yeah. But that, you know, people might be looking at that and saying, well, you know, well, this person's really perfect. You're not, you know, like comparison. Um, the other thing is the insecurity and 
anxiety about the future and the, you know, living together first creates that insecurity and anxiety because you are on a trial basis. Like you said before, Tom, like a try and buy, like, you know, do you really love me? Or, you know, next year, is this going to be over because you didn't make, you know, you didn't commit to me. You did live with me, but you didn't make this commitment to me. So there's that insecurity about that. And just one other thing with that is that um, there's a lot of misunderstandings because of the way young people communicate. Uh, It might be a very brief text message. It might be a very brief phone message or something like that. And what was said wasn't how it was intended to be received, but there's just a lot of misunderstanding because there's not a lot of uh, communication. And listening to that, you know, it just strikes me how superficial the level of intimacy really is. It's mm-hmm. all on the surface. Right. You know, there's no going deep and really getting to know somebody. It's snap judgments and visually driven and what, what's the first impression. And it must be fear, I'm guessing, that causes people not to want to go any deeper than that. Just keep it superficial and light. And you think about how Satan, the enemy, takes so everything of God's standards and twists it and perverts it. And the flesh, if that's allowed to reign and rule, we're going to stay at that fleshly level and it's all going to be very superficial. And the true intimacy that comes with God's design for male-female relationships is just, you never get there. Not in the essence of what God intended. So the God's design is critical. That whole thing goes back to the more I give of myself, the more vulnerable I become. There's more of you to hurt uh, or more of me that you can hurt. Let me restate that. The more vulnerable I become in opening myself up, you had something written here that I thought, bullet point three, too many of us have been hurt by key people in our lives. So we become afraid to trust fully. Right. Thus, our relationships are not based on 100% truth. Right. Because You know, it may not always happen at the same time, and it may not always happen in the same way, but I can just speak from my own experience. Um, I discovered very early in life that someone that I should have been able to trust 100% turned out to be untrustworthy, and I was traumatized by that. So not even really consciously being aware of it, you know, I was seeking for validation, seeking for love, seeking for, you know, that perfect love that will give me that self-worth, because I had damaged self-worth. So without realizing it, I was placing an unfair burden, you know, on my late husband. We were both very young. As you said, uh, we married younger in, you know, our generation. But that validation of self, that should come from God. Mm-hmm. You know, the our purpose, our meaning, who we are, if we actually let God give that to us, right, it can never really come from another person. But um, I like the illustration that, you know, that is usually used of a triangle where you have a strong base. So if each of you are on, you know, the two corners of the triangle and God is at the center, right, and so you are individually like the husband and the wife, both are individually seeking God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, they are going to come closer together just by the fact that they're both reaching for the same thing, for that same high point. Whereas if they're just trying to reach each other, they may kind of go astray or whatever. But if both of them individually are seeking this perfect relationship with God, then they are going to meet at that point where they know God and they are known by God and then they will know each other. And that would be based on 100% truth, not on lies, not on masks, not on self-protection, but 
total trust. And then there is where you will really have true intimacy because you Mm -hmm. can't really have intimacy if you're not willing to let down all your guards. And that was how I was. And I didn't even know it. I didn't really realize it. Unfortunately, a lot of these things I kind of became aware of, you know, too late. He had already gone home to heaven and I was kind of thinking, what happened? We were so in love. You know, where did we go wrong? But I had too much of a Hollywood fairy tale idea of what marriage and love and relationship is supposed to be. I'm thinking there are probably going to be people that listen to this who are thinking, wow, I'm struggling with those things. I'm struggling with trusting my spouse or my partner, my boyfriend, girlfriend. And there's a lot of people living together these days, which we we don't necessarily believe is the right way to do things mm-hmm. because that puts the cart before the horse. And we're going to talk about that more in other sessions. But I think there are probably going to be people that are going to listen to this and they're going to be thinking, I'm struggling with some of these things that Ning is talking about. What, what would you say to those people that are struggling with that? They, maybe they've realized today, they found out about things about their partner, their mm-hmm. spouse. They realize their relationship is not where it should be. And they, they know things have to change or that's going to be gone. You know, what, what, would you, what would you say about that? I want to go back to, I think I said this a few minutes ago, too many of us have been hurt by key people. This is from Ning's notes here. Uh, too many of us have been hurt by key people in our lives, so we become afraid to trust. And I mm-hmm. think that when somebody gets to that point in their relationship, they're like, I, I can't do this anymore. I've heard that a lot. I can't do this anymore. Um, so we become afraid to trust fully. Thus, our relationships are not based. There's just a lot of hurting going on. What would you say? What would be the first step maybe for those folks to, in your estimation of what they should be doing? It kind of is what happened with me too, in that I had to take it to the Lord. I had to, you know, drop it in front of the altar, so to speak, um, or take that hurt and all the trauma and all the baggage, you know, and nail it to the cross. We actually, um, in the church that I used to um, go to, church body that I used to go to in California, we actually had one point where, you know, our pastor brought a wooden cross, a really big wooden cross, uh, and then said, yes, you know, a lot of us have things that we deal with, hurts, issues, traumas, whatever it is that you're dealing with. You know, we don't need to know what it is, but even if you wanted to, like you could write it on a piece of paper and then actually go up front and figuratively nail it to the cross, like what we pinned it to the cross. But in that sense, be able to let it go and let God do the healing. Um, There's practical things that we can do, counseling if necessary and so on. But the first step is take it to the Lord and cast your burdens upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I, I just have to say amen to that. Absolutely. To answer your question, you know, all I can do like Ning is doing is testify. Testify to what God has done in our lives, what he's shown us and what lessons we've learned and what we still need to learn, but it's a journey. But in my case, uh, and we're, we'll definitely get more into our testimonies, but uh, just a, a snapshot reaction or response to that question was after 28 years of marriage, my wife, my late wife and I separated. 
And uh, this is following about 10 years of severe marital strife, and then separation occurred. So the short, the short story there is when my wife and I sought to reconcile, and it was just wasn't going anywhere. And, and I'll never forget one day when I said, you know, we need to work on this. And she says, you go work on you, and I'll go work on me. And what she meant by that was, and we were both Christians, uh, you go to the Lord and you, you know, go after him like you never have before, in essence. I mean, that's what I knew what she was saying. And I did, and she did. And 16 months later, we reconciled by the grace of God and to God be the glory. So having worked through that and seen how God is capable of resurrecting the dead, including a dead marriage, to see, to, to know and to believe and to observe firsthand that God is in the business of resurrecting the dead. And when you come that close to it personally and mm-hmm. see the efficacy of that. I've come to that point in my life that where this is my simple, I want, I don't, I don't like to use the word mantra, but the slogan, Jesus Christ is the solution to all, A-double-L, all of mankind's problems, as long as he's exalted or lifted up in each one of our lives as Lord. Mm-hmm. Savior first and then Lord. But, you know, I can say that unequivocally, undoubtedly, Jesus Christ is in the business of uh, resurrecting the dead. And that includes marriages. Amen. That includes right. relationships Amen. that some folks think are not retrievable. What do you want to say to um, Something that you said, Ning, when you talked about trauma, just made me think about in relationships, whether someone is dating, whether they're living with someone, whether they're married, when that relationship ends, there is trauma that does affect their ability to trust the next person. And a lot of times that baggage is carried over it to the next get, relationship. It does, gets carried. Which speaks directly to what Ning said about taking it to the cross, right? <laughs> and leaving I think it there. A lot of times people don't get married, they live together because they don't want to make that commitment. But the reality is if and when that relationship would end, they're going to go through the same trauma that they would had they been married. Maybe not as much legal red tape mm-hmm. going through that, but the hurt and the trauma is still there. And, you know, a lot of times you see where people are, young people are dating and they, they go through many, 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 many relationships. And it's like each one of those relationships, when they end, there's a, there's a level of hurt or damage that happens that they, that just keeps accumulating. Right. One thing that we want to talk about, and there's tools for remedies, if you will, but one of those things in the line of marriage coaching, but dealing or relationship coaching, dealing with healing in the aftermath, dating, classic example, the world mimicking, you know, the the male-female relationship that God would ordain, dating. What is that? You give your heart to somebody else and they'll do with it as they please more often than not. They might drop it, they might trample it, they might trash it and walk all over it and then they give give it back to you and now you have to go through life with a broken heart. As opposed to coaching or remedying remedying a, a malady in your relationship, a fission, a fissure, fracture, whatever you want to call it, it, is to learn how to hold your spouse's heart. Hold it. And I mean, then when you start going really deep and seeking to have real relationship, especially if there's a threat to your relationship, where you're, your back's against the wall, you need to react to save this. You know, there's, it's a really neat phenomenon that we've observed personally in that literally about how to hold your part your spouse's heart. Imagine that. If somebody gave you their heart in your hand said, now be careful with this thing, protect it, guard it, mm-hmm. as if it were your own right? Mm-hmm. And wow. And I've, we've seen that phenomenon work in the healing of broken relationships. When you learn how to do that, and that does not come naturally, mm-hmm. the other comes naturally. Right. Comes the carnal fleshly way is what typically comes naturally. So we're talking about supernatural means of healing and resurrecting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in that 
and I've seen this as I've counseled folks over the years, there has to be a willingness on both sides Mm. to want to bring that back to the center of where it needs to be biblically. I'm glad, Ning, that you mentioned the cross because that is the center of everything. In, in the life of a believer. And, you know, I think it's important at this point that we say this discussion that we're going to continue to have for a number of weeks is about what God thinks about what a relationship should be about. And just so everybody knows that's listening, we're going to continue to talk about Jesus, the right. cross, the center of our life in Christ the source of all of our life, which is the Word of God. It's our source book. It's our reference manual for living, so to speak. So all of those things are going to continue to come to the forefront of our discussions in these coming weeks. And I think that everybody listening should be prepared for that because we're going to be unashamed about (laughs) what we say. And that might upset some people, but Cornerstone Alive Church is about speaking truth. And truth is the only thing that will set us free. So if we're not speaking truth, there will be no freedom. We'll we'll continue to be in bondage. So in approaching Jeff recently about this concept of doing what we're doing today, we thought about a bunch of sessions where we'd be in front of people, but I thought, well, maybe we could do it this way and begin to introduce folks to what we believe at Cornerstone, but what we believe is the word of God that all believers everywhere should be standing on. Uh, When it comes to to what is a biblical relationship and how to get success in that relationship. I think a lot of people are looking for success in relationships mm-hmm. and they're not getting it and they don't know why. So they're for, the first thing they think, I'll find somebody else. I'll get somebody else that's better than him or better than her. And then they get with that person. And like you said, Tammy, the same old things just keep coming back to the surface. And we don't want to look at ourselves as maybe we are part of the problem in that relationship. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. And we're just going to take our time because I don't think we have to rush it. And you know what? I think this too, if we say it again, that's all right. Reinforcement is important. Repetition is good for the ears of the hearer, especially when the word of God is part of that repetition. So any closing thoughts before we end this time? What do you got to say? I don't know. Do you love me? I do love you. (laughs) You do? Praise the Lord. That's a good, that's good. thank you for bringing me a snack. (laughs) Yeah, I brought her supper tonight, a payday bar. Oh, I got to make a better supper. What do you guys think? What what do you want to say before we end this time together? We opened up with some statistics that kind of were a little disheartening. But Shanti Feldhan and her husband, Jeff Feldhan, they're actually Christians that are doing research, but they do it in such a way that it is considered scientifically valid, regardless of, you know, the results will stand, whether the audience is a Christian or believing audience or person of faith or, you know, just somebody um, in the secular world. So they actually found that uh, 53% of couples that consider themselves to be highly happy that they were 
totally satisfied with their marriages, they actually, like one key factor among many that they found through their research, but one key factor was they all believed that they would look higher. They looked higher to God. God is at the center of their marriage. And that was kind of, it correlated with them being like very happy in their marriages. And then 40% of happily married couples believe that as well. Whereas those that didn't think that they were happy, maybe about only 7% of them considered God to be at the center. So just that thought of both, you know, husband and wife looking towards God, um, thinking of, you know, how they should please God. And then because of them doing things that would please God, they actually treat their spouses better or their, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, their partners better. And then in the end, they have a happy relationship. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, Jeff, what do you want to? Yeah. And to the listeners out there, you know, as Ning and I talk about, life comes at you fast and hard. And that's just the reality of living in this world. But there's hope. And that's what we want to convey. And we want to let you know that God is the God of all flesh. There's nothing too difficult for him. And he has nothing but thoughts and desires and plans for your future. Probably a lot of folks are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 10 through uh, 14. But for thus says the Lord, after some period of time, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. What place? The place he would have you to be. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. Back, he'll restore you. He'll restore your relationship. He'll bring you to that place you, he wants you to be. And eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has the mind conceived of all the good things that God has in store for you. A bit of a paraphrase on that one, but ah, he, he will bring you home. He, mm -hmm. Trust him. And he is the solution to all of your, your relationship discords. Praise the Lord. What a what a good way to end this mm -hmm. session, this discussion. I'm just getting really emotional here because I'm just so thankful to Ryan Dale for, for bringing this idea to us to do podcasts. And I know hundreds and hundreds of people are going to be blessed by what we are setting out to do, the four of us, mm -hmm. in this discussion. I think there's going to be some people set free from some bad things, and they're going to they're going to learn how God says you can love and walk in love with your spouse, with that person that you want to be your spouse. And I'm, I'm excited about that. Praise the Lord. I can't wait till next week. I think this is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Amen. And I think you all need to join us for the next session of this discussion. We, we are glad you're with us. God bless you. Lord, we just pray over every person that's listening to this broadcast, to this podcast. And we just pray, Lord, that you be with them and help them and that they would get hope like Jeff just spoke out of his mouth, that they would have hope that God is there and ready to move on their behalf. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God amen. bless you. And we can't wait to see you, or I guess be with you the mm -hmm. next time. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs>